Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Tubon, and I appreciate you listening in to another round of discussions on the restaurant industry. You can find our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, and we encourage you to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes as they come out. We also welcome you to rate our podcast, and we hope you enjoy this content we're bringing to you that you can take on the go with you. Today, Dana Zakowski will be talking with Robert Earl, founder and CEO of Planet Hollywood. We're excited to learn more about Robert himself and his insights into the virtual restaurant world and any other industry insights he has to share. Let's dive right in with Dana and Robert. Thank you, Jeff, so much for passing it over to me. Today, we have a very special guest, Robert Earl, who, amongst many other things, was the founder of Planet Hollywood and not only is in restaurants, hotels, he is now created a company where we are where he is exploring virtual brands and I'm sure we've all heard about Mr. Beast at this point and if you haven't you haven't opened up a newspaper or read anything restaurant related. So Robert, why don't you take a quick minute, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, your background and then we'll start talking about what's going on in today's world. Thank you very much. Um hi everyone. So um I would like to say I'm a seasoned entrepreneur, came over from the United Kingdom sometime in the late 80s and have really enjoyed working and being based in the United States. Um, I have an array of different businesses and different brands that we own. Um, used to be the CEO and shareholder of Hard Rock Cafe, created Planet Hollywood, have brands from Buca de Beppo to Batucci's to Bravo to Brio. There is a common theme there. I like things that begin with a B. Um, to Earl of Sandwich, to various other businesses. Very proud of our achievements of my team converting the Aladdin Casino in Las Vegas to the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, which subsequently... Uh, led us to a chain of hotels. We've just opened 1,200 bedrooms in Cancun uh, under the umbrella of Planet Hollywood. We have a wonderful Planet Hollywood hotel in Costa Rica and several more coming soon. Our latest um, departure has been into the virtual dining space, and I'm sure Dana will get into that as as we progress. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So I guess before we, I think virtual is going to end up being a big topic, but there's a few things I wanted to talk about before we get there. And one of them is around your hotels and the, the hotels you're opening. Clearly during this time, travel's been non-existent for the better, for the most part. <laughs> Yet you continue to open hotels, mostly in resort areas, as well as having a great, huge flagship in Las Vegas. What do you see and what made you continue to open hotels? And when do you think we're going to start seeing travel and tourism take take back um, to where it was? Yes. Well, firstly, I don't want the listeners to think I'm insane. The continuing <laughs> with the hotels where they were 
prior commitments to COVID. Um, and of course, the landscape has changed. Um, I think that we all tend to divide business now in everything that we're doing in hospitality between domestic tourism, international tourism, convention and conference business. And I think that we all feel collectively that the fastest to recover will be domestic tourism. Even that is changing the work, the shape of it and how it looks because people will be going on far more varied trips outside of main cities for all the obvious reasons. So we're looking to build back initially domestically. And of course, where we rely on overseas visitors, it's going to take time to recover. And the converse being, how long will it be before North Americans and Canadians start to travel in large numbers back to um, the Caribbean and Mexico? Uh, obviously, um, the local tourist boards and governments are highly motivated. They're giving substantial grants to people to uh, reopen, to open new businesses. They're giving breaks um, in, in various different forms. And obviously, the whole tour operator airline industry is totally motivated to get these routes profitable again. I think each city is different. I believe that Vegas is the first to recover. The escapism is inside all of us. Right. And um, I just feel that um, that's how it will go. And I feel that New York is going to take some time because of all the other things that have happened there and all the adverse press of people relocating down south. It's going to take time. But I think New York is a great opportunity for everyone. Yes, I hope it is because it's getting kind of lonely here in the big city with, <laughs> to your point, people escaping, whether it be out east or down south. But there is a glimmer of hope, right? We're hoping that we do have Broadway back. We hope people are starting to go back to restaurants now that they are reopened by the time this airs at 35%, which will be super duper exciting. Um, so there's tourism. There's some of the hotel stuff. What's going on? Planet Hollywood, big box, Buka, big box, all these things. And yet you've now pivoted and really are focusing on virtual. And I think, again, anyone who's listened or read anything about restaurants recently, you're hearing Ghost Kitchen, you're hearing Cloud Kitchen, you're hearing what virtual restaurants. Do you want to just take two minutes and just explain to the audience the difference between a Cloud Virtual and Ghost Kitchen in your words so that as we're having the conversation that people know what we're talking about? Certainly, if I knew. But right. um, just, just before we do that, I want to yeah. give some encouragement to all fellow industry people that are listening. Um, we, most of my restaurant chains specialize in getting group bookings, so we were obviously most affected. But we are seeing, as we do this podcast, we are seeing lots of new bookings um, emerging on our calendars. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hopefully, they will all continue to see it through and attend. But the signs are good that people are bursting to get out. The signs are good that after a year of not fraternizing and socializing and believing now that the elder are most susceptible to COVID um, patients are getting the vaccine in large numbers, the younger people feel it's our time to go out again. So hopefully everyone on this 
podcast might be seeing the same results in in short order. Right. And I think I've if I hear the term roaring 20s again, I just keep laughing every time. Well, when you people... weren't around the first time, were you? No, no. Thank goodness. But I do enjoy reading about it. And if any of that comes true and we'll be having a good time, hopefully we can just yes. keep this and going up and the, out. I think all the alcohol distributors are praying for that. Right, exactly. Um, so, and as we switch to virtual, yes. our definition of a virtual brand is an online delivery food brand that is exclusively online and doesn't have bricks and mortar that have the same name. So whether it's a cloud kitchen, a ghost kitchen, or a virtual brand, the food is being cooked, in a sense, in a nameless location, or the name that is on the location does not pertain to the brand. Gotcha. So... For example, one of you pick a brand that you guys are have developed. An alternative way of looking at this is one goes out and rents a kitchen. Um, there's been a huge um, up uptick in cloud kitchens, which we define as a, a, a real estate developer taking a disused warehouse, light industrial, an old building. The key of which is that. It's close to a community. The big buzzword in the tech world relating to hospitality is the last mile. Right. Um, and what that essentially means is how close can I be to the consumer? And the need for this is 90-something percent of customer complaints relate to food temperature, which, of course, relate to the amount of delivery time. I would have thought... Sorry. No, I was going to say, I would have thought that one of the biggest complaints is soggy french fries, because I'm still waiting for someone to deliver those perfectly to me. Is what? Soggy french fries. Oh, soggy <laughs> french fries. Yeah, well, it's it's the same thing. Right. You put them into a container, and if that container doesn't have any little holes to let the steam out, um, you are softening it. And advice to anyone on the line at that uh, in in that detail is that there are a lot of coated fries that are now available from the McCain's and the Lamb Wessons that um, take away quite a bit of that issue. Right. So, so going back to cloud kitchens, um, the developer takes the space and subdivides it, puts 15, 20 different 300 square foot spaces available to rent. And the perfect part of this is that the drivers don't have to fight to pull up outside of a restaurant or to go into the restaurant to s collect the food. They are going to this one uh, control point at the front of a cloud kitchen. And they are growing everywhere all around the world. And they are one way for you to get into the virtual delivery business. It's an inexpensive entry into the market. Um, $50,000, $70,000 to fit out the small kitchen in the space and you're off to the races and the cloud kitchen uh, landlord will help you uh, connect up with all of the platforms. Right. And one of the other things I know from speaking to some of these cloud <coughs> kitchen companies is 
the drivers also want to come there because they're making the area where the drivers go a little nicer, a little friendlier, whether it be giving them some water or a place to wash their hands or use a restroom. Some of the drivers are happier being able to go there because they also know that they might be able to pick up bulk orders as opposed to having to go to a million different places. Okay. Um, so, uh -oh. <laughs> so, so my company has developed a twist on all of this. Okay. Our twist is the following. When we look at cloud kitchens and all of these other methods of producing a virtual brand, there is one point that stands out for us, which is the lack of profitability for the creator of that brand because of having a separate labor um, allocation, of having a separate rent of having separate utilities. So what my company has done is we've turned it upside down and we've created brands initially for ourselves and then for all other market partners that have a kitchen that would desire to have a virtual brand where they can effectively license from us a ready-made brand. And here's the key, that they can add inside their existing operation, thus not incur all this additional labor or additional right. rent or additional utilities. I totally get it. But, and I want to hear everything about that, but this obviously, all of this idea that you guys have came about before COVID. COVID probably helped grow it a little quicker or maybe change the plan a little. <laughs> What started you guys getting the idea of this virtual brand? Like, which was the first brand you started with and how many do you have now? Right. The percentage of the American public that is now comfortable with ordering food in that manner and perhaps foregoing a visit to the supermarket has uh -huh. dramatically grown. And so the projections that we're all seeing of the growth of online food delivery is enormous for the next few years, and virtual brands will have a growing share of that. Right. Um, to answer your question, in my particular case, my top lines on some of my chains were suffering generally in the restaurant world. I think we all have our own views. My view pre-COVID was that the demise of retail had led to um, an uncontrolled growth of food and beverage because the landlords have repurposed all of their spaces to be F&B. And it wasn't a commensurate growth of consumer. Correct. So, so generally, restaurants need top line. Um, I, I generally try to explain it that <clears throat> anyone in the restaurant business, the first thing we try to do always pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, is maximize our dine-in business. After that, we try to maximize our to-go. And right. our to-go is subdivided from curbside pickup to third-party platforms, to drive-through, whatever creative right. way one does it. And historically, Dana, after those two initiatives, mm -hmm. you've got nowhere to go. Now, we are offering you a third segmentation, virtual brands. So we're saying to you, as restaurateurs, for other restaurateurs, have a look at all my brands. They're very diverse. 
they generally come with celebrity attachment. I was just going to ask you about that, how you got into that part, but keep going. um, But we have found that celebrity attachment provokes trial. As we all know that on this podcast, trial is stage one. We all have to deliver on price, quality, variety after that to get a second bite uh, from the consumer. But but my career has been one of always being attached to celebrity and being driven by public relations initiatives far more than pure advertising. So going back two years ago, we started to put virtual brands in. We started with something as simplistic as Wings, and we had a brand. We have a brand called Wing Squad, and it does really well. It obviously does better on game days and certain events that um, the public love to order wings. But it was a great experiment. It was a way for us to learn about which of our kitchen equipment wasn't under pressure. Where was their spare capacity? How easily could we fire up these orders without disrupting our core brand? And that is the key to all of this. Um, When Mr. Beast Burger was launched, none of us expected the insanity that that followed. Um, Where did you start Mr. Beast Burger? Which which, uh, area of the country? um, All over in about 200 and something locations simultaneously. Um, just for um, the uh, podcast listener today, Mr. Beast is a 22-year-old hailing from North Carolina. He is part of the future of celebrity and entertainment. He is a YouTuber, and this young man makes incredibly humorous YouTubes that generally have some charitable aspect to them. And get this. When he puts a YouTube up, over 40 million different people view it. Wow. His his followers go from six years of age all the way up to 30, 40 year olds. They are fantastic videos. They tend to have a nice message. The parents are very accepting of the kids watching these. There's nothing um, distasteful in them. And what what Jimmy Donaldson, the that's his real name, Mr. Beast, did was back in maybe October of 20, maybe a little earlier, he and my son um, took over um, a restaurant in North Carolina that was a drive through and bought it out for a few days and created a pop up called Mr. Beast Burger. He then announced that all food was free. Wow. That that caused the longest traffic jam that Wilson, North Carolina will ever see in their lives. It was alleged to go, well, we know it was four miles. It was alleged to go a lot further. And when you pulled up, he was there with his buddies giving out free food and cash and cars. And what he did was he used this to create his content, which became a YouTube that was released on December the 19th, on the day we opened for business online, and on the day that we launched our app, 
which became, I think, probably a first ever in the hospitality industry, the number one downloaded app on the App Store. It got global attention for that fact. And um, it's a free app, but it's an alternative method to order your food through. And now we are upgrading the app and putting um, video games onto it, putting all other types of things to hold the customer for longer periods. And um, Mr. Beast, back a year ago, curated with my team, I have in-house food network chef that works with us and curated the menu that was his vision. And he has partnered with us in a brand called Mr. Beast Burgers. And Mr. Beast Burgers has already, as this interview is taking place, something like 600 market partners. A market partner is defined as a restaurant that has signed up to cook these items and have an exclusive geographically. So you have the market partner, and I guess talking about how someone has Mr. Beast, I'm assuming they could also join and have some of the other brands you work with as well. They're not going to be tied just to one brand. That is correct. And it's really a factor, Dana, of what can your kitchen realistically do? And not just as a solution during COVID, but when you go back to your pre-COVID numbers, um, I, I want to make sure that you can continue the relationship with us. And are you? do you have people on your team that will work with the market partners? Someone calls you and says, I have extra space. I don't know where to start, where you guys can work together with them and say, okay, Mr. Beast might not be for you, but this other brand might be. We do. Um, we have a very extensive sales team, onboarding team, and success team. And all three of those teams interact with each restaurant. And we have people that deal in enterprise only. And I suspect that hopefully some of your listeners to this podcast uh, might be in that category. And we come up with different arrangements for some of the enterprise brands, even create some um, virtual brands just for an enterprise brand exclusively if they are large enough. Um, and then we have people that are cold calling. We have people that are just responding to our ads that we place in hospitality um, um, media. So, yes, we're all over the place recruiting market partners. The size of the market in this country just on restaurants is something like 350,000 independents pre-COVID and probably another 500 to 600,000 that are in some form of chain or fast food or fast casual. And they are all targets for us. Right. I, I mean, I, I imagine anyone who has a little extra capacity in the kitchen <laughs> and staff that's not working at 100 percent, why not? Why not explore something like this? Besides Mr. Beast, could you tell us about some of the other favorite brands that you guys are working with where you've seen um, a lot of success? Absolutely. Um, big success. Only been a few weeks, but I see no reason that it won't continue. Is Mr. Guy Fieri's Flavortown Kitchen. It is an homage to all Guy's different cuisines, all the things he does on diners, drive-ins and dives and all of those shows. And 
Um, it's got off to an amazing start in terms of volume and customer reaction. Um, we have a series of other ones coming out very soon. Um, we've just launched with Grubhub exclusively two brands. One is with Mario Lopez. And, oh. And um, it is Tortas, which are what he was brought up on a, a Mexican form of sandwich. And we did one with a young man called Paulie D, who has been a star for many years on a TV series called Jersey Shore. And he has two or three other programs that he is the presenter of on MTV. And we love our talent, our partners, to be in the consumer's eye. And so that's a criteria for us. And Paulie's is a real natural. It's Paulie D's Italian subs. And they are delicious and of course if you stop and think about it um they don't need any oven they don't need any fryer the subs they don't need anything except for refrigeration so essentially any food operation could do it right and again i'm a jersey girl so I, nothing's better than a good jersey sandwich but that being said all of your all the stories we're talking about are a lot of celebrity driven, a lot of celebrity marketing. How much, I mean, again, even starting from Planet Hollywood and in the prep, we had some fun calls from conversations about some of that stuff and how celebrity played into it and the promotion of it. Are you getting these, the talent on the other side to help you promote these items? Are they oh, going absolutely, out? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, completely. Um, without divulging um, economics, of they course. are my partners. Um, this is not one of these operations where we've asked some talent to advertise something. This is a partnership from beginning to end where um, all of our celebrity partners are delighted to have this brand extension of their career. Right. Um, I, I would imagine. I have, one, I have one with a rapper who I'm sure you listen to his music all the time called Tiger. And Tiger the Rapper developed with us, and he's been wonderful on the promotional side, Tiger Bites, which are boneless chicken wings that you can choose all different dusts, um, spices on the coating, and then they come with Tiger Tots, which are potato tots, and various other accompaniments, and he's constantly promoting it. Oh, that and that's exactly what you want with your partners on the brand side for sure. It has to be standardized, just like our expectations in the industry for a right. big bricks and mortar brand. We're using all the same marketing initiatives, we're doing souvenir cups for all of the Mr. Beast followers with the images of Mr. Beast and his um gang all on them. Um, we, we do all of those type of things to standardize the brand. And I would feel like because I, ultimately I am part of an accounting firm, I'd be remiss not to ask, in addition to standardizing the product, I'm assuming that part of why people want to work with you and this pre-developed formula is because the costs are standardized as well. That is correct. Thank you for that setup question. Um, so... So we, we give a very, very fair economics 
to all the market partners. We charge fees that include all of the third-party delivery fees, all of the advertising, all of the social, the PR, and the whole how-to. And those fees, because of the um, bulk buying that we have, tend not to be any more expensive than if you were trying to do this by yourself. But of course, if you were trying to do this by yourself, you're not going to have the talent. You're not going to have the quality of packaging. You're not going to have the national platform. You're not going to get the same level of awareness. So hopefully, um, we are a great solution. Um, I, I told you when we were talking um, before today that we have so many gratifying videos that are heartwarming um, restaurants that say, hi, this is Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so from Sparks, Nevada. We were about to close our doors forever, but because of Mr. Beast, we're now hiring more staff, which was, which is just wonderful for us to receive these and to see that we're such an assist to the industry. But um, we're, we're, we're designing something that will stay around way after COVID. Right. No, I definitely agree on that entire ending story. I think that for people out there who are struggling, who, are, who were struggling, and just really, to your point earlier, looking to help increase the top line, exploring things like virtual kitchen, virtual restaurants or virtual brands is tremendous. So I think on that note, any final words for anyone that you want to say or any story to share? Um, uh, yes, let's get some more PPP money. Um, <laughs> let's all fight through this. Let's encourage people to come back out. The vaccinations are working. Numbers are declining. And it's time for everyone to return to the hospitality industry and enjoy it. It's been one of the worst hit sectors of all. And um, it's a tough place to work in a kitchen at the best of times. And now to work so close next to your colleagues in that environment, we, we just, as owners, have to be really sympathetic and try and help as much as possible. Yeah. And again, I agree with you wholeheartedly on all of that. So, Robert, thank you so much. It's been a great time talking to you here. Thank you for listening to BDO To Go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.